Hey everybody, what's up? It's your girl Bondi Blue and I am back for another Bondi Blue show. You guys, I have like a ton of topics, so pray for me. <laughs> like these are the last two videos of the day, the podcast. Um, I'm gonna do right after this. So yeah, y'all, let's go ahead and get into the topic. So I missed this topic last week, so I wanted to, you know, revisit. So Tommy Lee's daughter, Samaria, announced recently on Instagram in May that she's pregnant. She noted in the caption that the pregnancy was unplanned, noting that she is grateful and happy that she has people who support her around, saying, my life is only going up from here. I just have one extra life coming with me and I'm beyond happy for it. And for all the young pregnant women or women with child, let me be inspiration. It's okay, you will do just fine, she wrote in part. Lee and Samaria have been in a heated feud on social media. It all started with Samaria posted several messages on her Instagram story. She wrote, y'all, I was just told how my mother and aunt teamed up to try to trick me into having an abortion. Same aunt that had her first child at 17 and mother at 18. I was told by my mother and aunt herself that she had an abortion at seven months pregnant and that I should get one because it was for the best. The night of my birthday, my grandmother that's incarcerated called me and told my mother and aunt will be going to the hospital to deliver my aunt's baby today. Child, she needs to learn how to write. So mother of the year, I remember you being there every step of the way when or whatever first got pregnant at 16 and had her child at 17 I was there with you in the delivery room when the same thing happens to me you disown me I haven't heard from you my whole pregnancy oh and by the way you forgot to tell me happy birthday in a separate post she said I've been staying cool calm collected but my aunt and mother got me to fly to LA thinking my mother was dying only to try and be forced to have an abortion after I didn't want it, I was kicked out of the house and forced to find my own way home. Holly responded to her daughter's claims. To address Samaria's claims, Lee went live on Instagram to speak about the situation herself and give her side of the story. She said that she wanted to keep this moment private but opted to speak out. Anyone that knows me, that know how I am and how hard I go for my family, she told viewers. The reason why I feel so strongly about that opinion for females to have a say-so about their bodies is because this is something that you are never going to be able to undo. You're never going to be able to undo having a child. All in all, Lee says that she just wants her daughter to live her life. I didn't have anybody to tell me, this is what you're supposed to do. I didn't have none of that. So ultimately, my decision to my child that I think so highly of and I love is that I don't want her to ever face the things that I face. I don't want her to ever go through that. She continues speaking of Samaria, I want you to be in your dorm room. I want you to complete high school. The celebrity mom told her daughters, I want you to have wild parties. I want you to live, live, live out these years of your life because you never get them back. You never get these years back. Despite Lee's statements on her Instagram live, Samaria wasn't having it and seems like things aren't good between them now. She said in a comment, you wouldn't know where I was living or what's going on with me because we don't speak. I'm in my rightful grade and currently about to start high school at home. Lee hasn't said anything else about the situation. Now I've also heard that the daughter pulled a knife on her and all of this other stuff. And look, I'm not sure about all of that. I'm just gonna give my opinion. 
So at the end of the day, she kept throwing that word abortion out there. And oh, she wanted me to get an abortion at seven months and all that type of stuff. But the truth of the matter is legally, you cannot. And nobody can force you to have an abortion, okay? So it's either you're going to get one or you're not. But nobody is going to force you to do that, all right? Legally, they cannot. All right. So there's that. So her whole argument, you know, is just you trying to put your mom on blast because she isn't telling you that it's OK for you to be a teenager and pregnant and you haven't even finished high school just because that's something that your sisters have done and she's done. y'all. That's how they know that this isn't the right decision all the time. OK, that's how they know, because they had to struggle so hard because y'all had to go without in some ways because to y'all detriment. OK. To y'all detriment, she kept y'all. You know what I'm saying? And I think that Tommy understands that now that she's older, that she wasn't ready. And if maybe she'd made a different decision, she wouldn't have had children that are out here fucked up mentally and emotionally because their mother is fucked up mentally and emotionally and her mama is fucked up mentally and emotionally. You know what I'm saying? But either way, um, I don't feel like anybody should ever be forced to have, you know, an abortion. I just don't. Okay, and since that topic probably won't get monetized, we'll just go ahead and put this on to the podcast and hope for the best, okay? So let's continue on with the rest of the information. So let's go ahead and talk about what we've learned from the newly unsealed Jeffrey Epstein documents. This is from NewYorkMagazine.com, the intelligencer, okay? So, a federal judge on Thursday unsealed hundreds of pages of documents containing an endless stream of disturbing details related to the allegations against Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, or Ghislaine Maxwell, I'm not sure, but whatever. The British socialite and Epstein's ex-girlfriend, who was arrested earlier this month on charges of sex trafficking minors and perjury. Among the documents is a deposition from Virginia Roberts Joffrey, who in 2015 filed and later settled a defamation suit against Maxwell. Geoffrey, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, who was a 15-year-old working at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort when Maxwell recruited her into Epstein's orbit, has accused the late financier of forcing her to be his sex leave and coercing her and to have sex with his powerful friends. Also released Thursday were emails between Maxwell and Epstein, flight logs and other documents. Maxwell's lawyers fought the release of the documents, leading U.S. District Judge Loretta Preska to say she was troubled but not surprised that Miss Maxwell had yet again sought to muddy the waters as the clock ticks closer to midnight. There is a continuing dispute over additional there is a continuing dispute over additional documents including the transcript of a 2016 Maxwell deposition which could be released Monday pending the intervention of an appellate court. Here is what we've learned so far from the trove of documents released Thursday. Maxwell and Epstein were in touch in 2015. In a court filing earlier this month, Maxwell's lawyers asserted that she had not been in touch with Epstein for a decade prior to his arrest in 2019. But among the documents released Thursday were typo-riddled emails from Epstein to Maxwell in which the late sex predator encouraged her to carry herself like an innocent woman. You have done nothing wrong and I would urge you to start acting like it. Go outside, head high, not as an escaped con Go to parties, deal with it. A January 25th, 2015 email from Jeffrey E. to Maxwell said, 
In another email, Epstein seemed to suggest a statement for Maxwell to release to the media. It said she had been the target of outright lies, innuendo, slander, defamation, and salacious gossip and harassment, and denied false allegations of impropriety and offensive behavior that I abhor and have never been a party to. In Joffrey's deposition, she described the hedonistic scene on Little St. James, the private island Epstein owned in the U.S. Virgin Islands as a place where orgies were a constant thing that took place. It's impossible to know how many, she said. People had sex poolside in cabanas in Epstein's large stony bedroom and down by the beach in a tiny wooden room that only fit a bed in it. Maxwell didn't just participate in the grooming of Epstein's victims. Joffrey said she had sex with them too. In her deposition, Joffrey said she often had sex with Epstein, Maxwell, and another person whose name is reducted. Joffrey suggested that the sex was not consensual, saying at one point that she had to go down on Gislaine, Gislaine, whatever. She also said Maxwell and Epstein regularly warned her not to piss them off, referring to it as an indirect threat that left her scared. Regarding the young woman she saw Maxwell having sex with, Joffrey said, I don't believe that any of the girls involved were truly willing participants doing it out of their own wanting. Joffrey said in her deposition that her father, who worked at Mar-a-Lago, helped her get a job at Donald Trump's South Florida club when she was a teenager. She was only there for a few weeks when Maxwell first approached her. Joffrey said she was sitting outside a locker room reading a book about massage when Maxwell approached her. Here is Joffrey's description of their first conversation. Well, she noticed, I was reading the massage book and I started to have chit chat with her just about, you know, the body and the anatomy and how I was interested in it. And she told me that she knew somebody who was looking for a traveling masseuse. And I said, well, I don't have any accreditations. This is the first book I've ever read. She goes, that's okay. I know somebody. We can train you. We can get you educated. You know, we can help you along the way if you pass the interview. If the guy likes you, then you know it will work out for you. You'll travel, you'll make money, you'll be educated and you'll finally get accredited one day. When asked in the deposition to name the politically connected and financially powerful people that Ghislaine Maxwell told you to go have sex with, Joffrey provided a list. On it were Prince Andrew, Alan Dershowitz from New Mexico, Governor Bill Richardson, New York hedge fund manager Glenn Dublin, artificial intelligence pioneer Marvin Minsky, and former model agency manager Jean-Luc Brunel. Among the documents released Thursday was a transcript of a conversation Joffrey had with her lawyers in 2011 in which Joffrey says that she was on Epstein's private island with Bill Clinton, Maxwell, and two young girls from New York. When she asked Epstein why the former president was there, Joffrey said he told her that Clinton owed him favors. She wasn't sure if it was a joke though. I remember asking Jeffrey, what's Bill Clinton doing here? And he laughed it off and said, well, he owes me a favor. He said, he never told me what favors they were. I never knew. I didn't know if he was serious. It was just a joke. On Friday, a Clinton spokesperson told Newsweek that the former president has never been to Little St. James Island. You guys, um, the whole thing is just so alarming and upsetting. And it also doesn't surprise me. Like the older I get, the more I feel like black people have been constantly starving for allies, 
for presidents that don't mean us harm. And I think a lot of us um, saw Bill Clinton as something different than what he was because he wasn't so uptight. You know, when people don't perpetrate that they're perfect, we tend to, to like them, you know, to relate to them in one way or another. When the truth of the matter is there is a skeezy old man that probably likes to have sex with young girls. And that's really upsetting. But it also doesn't surprise me because he's a skeezy old man that had sex with young girls. You know, at the time she was young. Her name is Monica Lewinsky. So this is not a surprise. Now of legal age young girls, we don't know. But most of the time, if anybody's on Epstein's Island, we can pretty much guess that it's some child shit going on there, okay? Which is even more upsetting that you're allowed to take, you know, these children to an island and have, you know, God knows what happening to them. Like, that shit is scary. That shit is upsetting, okay? And in all honesty, like, I've been side-eyeing Bill Clinton for a long time. The problem I have with the Pizzagate people is that y'all are going to ignore all the different times Trump's name came up in this story. That's my problem with y'all. Speaking of Trump, Trump campaign fighting to make it harder for Democrats to vote by mail. Yes, that's right. Your president is going to make it harder for you to vote by mail. Okay, you don't want to go out uh, of your house into the world where a pandemic is present and possibly catch coronavirus from voting. Well, you can vote from home, but it's not accurate. It's not a good, reliable source to vote. Maybe we should take it back a bit. Like, no. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to vote the way we've always voted in this country. And you being a piss poor president will not change that. Behind President Donald Trump's rhetoric railing against the expansion of vote by mail efforts ahead of the fall, his team is fighting to preserve the aspects of mail in voting that they hope will offer Trump a strategic advantage. That has included a push in various states for policies such as enhanced signature matching requirements for people to file an application before they receive a ballot and limits to when and where mail-in ballots will be counted. Things election experts have said could lead to fewer votes being counted from groups that skew Democratic, which is why I feel like people should start registering as Republicans. Register as a Republican, it doesn't matter how you vote, but register as a Republican so that they don't have the paper trail in order to fuck with your vote because they usually circle in on where Democrats vote. A lot of times we vote in different places, different neighborhoods, and they will zero in on that information in order to make it harder for Democrats to vote. Meanwhile, the president has begun laying the groundwork for the doubt and suspicion he could cast on election results if counting mail-in ballots ultimately delays the declaration of a winner. I want to have the election, but I also don't want to have to wait for three months and then find out that the ballots are all missing and the election doesn't mean anything. That's what's going to happen. Like, he's such an idiot. Like, I'm so over it like I'm so over it the fact that you're even pulling putting this out there based off of no real information okay mail-in ballots will lead to the greatest fraud he said without evidence but some administration officials and Republican allies have expressed frustration at Trump's rhetoric behind closed doors, acknowledging that mail-in voting will likely be necessary and perhaps even helpful for the president in some cases. It's not smart, one senior administrative official said of Trump's comments, noting that likelihood that the pandemic will make voting in person, at least in some areas, impossible when we are eventually forced to have mail-in ballots. It's our people who won't vote because they don't trust the system. And that's also because a lot of Republicans like 
a lot of the ones here in Louisiana, the reason why y'all vote for Trump is because y'all say drain the swamp. Y'all don't trust the system. <laughs> and then y'all vote for someone who tries to rig it. So it seems as if, you know, uh, Trump's people are going to get out there anyway. And I feel like everybody else should be getting out there like as hard as they possibly can to vote. I definitely will be voting. <laughs> like y'all know, sis votes. So y'all pay attention to what's going on in the areas where you vote because they are actively spending millions of dollars to keep you from being able to vote. So if you can put on a mask and gloves and go to Walmart or go to wherever y'all asses go, y'all can take yourselves down to the poll to make sure we don't have to go through this for another four years. We need someone that is at least going to handle the pandemic in a way that doesn't send us all into, I don't know, the pits of hell. Like, what are we doing here? Like the, the Republicans, I am so like upset because it's like y'all uphold all of these like unrealistic values on people and in morals and shit and you never live up to any of them. And then he comes into play and all of that shit gets thrown out of the window. And now you don't care about any of the things that y'all pressed so hard for when it came to Obama or anybody else prior to this president. Like I'm just amazed. I'm amazed at where we are in this system right now. Y'all would rather watch this shit burn than, you know, to get him out of office. Like, it's upsetting because I live here. It's upsetting because I live here. So y'all make sure y'all get out there and y'all vote. And y'all don't let these tricks get y'all to not cast your vote. And we end up being in a situation again. So y'all, let's talk. So the Emmys. Apparently the Emmys... Um, went ahead and finally paid attention to black folks. They did not, however, pay attention to Latino folks. Let's go ahead and read what they're saying at Oprah Magazine. So, the kickoff to award season is officially in full swing with the announcement of the Emmy nominations on Tuesday. On the surface, there have been major strides towards inclusion of diverse projects. HBO's Insecure, for example, is up for Best Outstanding Comedy Series, a first-time nomination for creator Issa Rae. Other notable recognition includes 11 actors who have been openly identified as members of the LGBTQ community, as well as 36 actors of color, okay? Yet, for a ceremony that is centered around giving props to entertainers and their work, the nominations are also a blaring indication of the work that's been ignored. This year's Emmy nominations didn't include any Latinx shows or actors in major categories. The ceremony comes at a time when companies and organizations have been under intense scrutiny for diversity and inclusion efforts following the death of George Floyd, which resulted in a rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. In the past, television and movie in the past, television and movie academies in particular felt the pressure to diversify their selections after the social media campaign hashtag #OscarSoWhite went viral in 2015. While the Emmy Awards have broadened just enough to confront the issue of diversity in Hollywood in recent years, they still have neglected to make room for all of the varying communities of color. In a statement to the Los Angeles Times today, the Television Academy addressed the need for more dynamic 
dynamic representation and said we feel it is a very positive sign that over the past decade the well-deserved recognition of performers of color have increased from one to ten to one in three nominees across all performer categories. Clearly that increase in representation has not been equal for all groups and clearly there is still more to do to improve both gender and racial representation across all categories. The disregard for Latinx figures in these nominations is also signaling a larger lack of representation in the entertainment industry. So let's skip down. Online folks are calling out the Emmys for their exclusion of Latinx centered shows. The Latinx actors MJ Rodriguez, who stars as Blanca Rodriguez Evangelista on Netflix's Pose, did not get nomination and neither did the series. Co-creator and executive producer Stephen Canals tweeted in response to the snub. Okay, real talk. What does MJ Rodriguez have to do aside from bearing her heart and pouring her soul into every damn scene to get a Best Actress nomination? Now, I agree with that. I personally feel like MJ Rodriguez absolutely should have gotten a, a nomination for Pose. Pose should have gotten a nomination. It just it doesn't make any sense to me for a show to be so good, so uh, sought after, so well received, so um, dynamic in its time frame. Like this is a show that I think a lot of people have been waiting on. Representation of trans women. And I, I, you know, in, in a large way, not just in the orange is the new black Laverne Cox and, you know, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. You know, in okay, Amaya, we have Amaya Scott, you know, but like on a large, you know, white people scale, Laverne Cox is pretty much it. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I'm saying? Even though I feel like Pose has brought so many different people to the forefront that deserve recognition and nomination. So I do agree with them about that. And I feel like there are other shows um, that are not being paid attention to in the Latin community. Now that I have said that I understand where the Latin community is coming from, let's talk about Dasha, uh, Dasha uh, Polanka's tweet. Okay, Dasha Polanka also um, was in Orange is the New Black. She sees herself as an Afro-Latina. You know, Afro-Latina girls basically just look like light-skinned black girls with just softer texture of hair, okay? That's basically what it is. People feel like she was shading the black community with this tweet after uh, John Leguizamo tweeted his tweet about not being noticed, not being paid attention to. And she says, if it's only us speaking up on it, no one cares. It's the silence from those that fight for equality, but only their equality. Diversity, but diverse enough to include thyself. That mentality of as long as I'm good, I don't see a damn thing. And people took that as her coming at the black community. And here's the thing. She said she didn't mean the black community and I hope she didn't mean the black community because if there is any community of people that champions every fucking body but themselves, it's the black community, okay? We always include black and brown and people of color. We have just now started to create this separation because we noticed that a lot of Latino people think they're white. Okay, y'all think y'all are closer to them than y'all are to us. And some of y'all are, and some of y'all are not, <laughs> okay? Because let's not forget that Brazil is made up largely of, of slaves, okay? African slaves. So a lot of y'all have African in y'all bloodline to begin with, trying to act like you're gonna be 100% Dominican, 100% Puerto Rican. Cut it the fuck out, okay? You are a mixture of indigenous, Portuguese, Spaniard, and African people. Cut it out. Okay, and there might be a little Ashkenazi Jew in there, depending on where you come from. But the point still remains, 
okay? That black people always buck for y'all, okay? We always include y'all. Y'all, however, feel a separation from us. Fuck, y'all feel a, sep a separation from one another. Y'all can't even figure out y'all own shit. You know, y'all mad when the Puerto Ricans are called Mexicans or the Mexicans are called, are called you know, or Puerto Ricans or the Dominicans are thought of as black because they have dark skin like child, okay? I personally feel like we do enough screaming for everybody. We need to focus on ourselves. And the Latin community needs to create their own thing. Like Latinx is y'all own thing. And y'all need to be out there fighting and, you know, uh, getting out there and making sure that y'all are fighting for y'all causes. Stop expecting black people to fight for everybody's fucking cause. Okay? Because we do it and then we don't get it in return. It's just now with George Floyd that everybody wants to be paying attention to Black Lives Matter. We've been shouting this shit for years since Trayvon Martin and even before then. And y'all was acting like, you know, it ain't nothing really happening, Holmes. It ain't really affecting us, Holmes, and all of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there are a lot of Latino people that are, you know, prejudiced and bigoted against black people because they want to feel closer in proximity to white people, you know? or who have been raised up with a lot of negativity towards African people. So yeah, you know what I'm saying? Miss me with that shit about how we need to speak up for y'all. We already do. <laughs> we already do, okay? At least that's the way I feel, because I personally you know, feel like if it were not for the civil rights movement and what black people did, none of you minorities would be able to come here and live the lives that y'all live. Everybody that comes from another country, Latino people, uh, other African people, people from the diaspora, all y'all that come here and are able to live good lives and all of that, that is because black people fought for that shit before y'all came here, okay? Just to be clear. Vietnamese people, Chinese people, all y'all, because none of y'all wasn't here yet neither, okay? Not like that. It was us and them. Child, I rarely seen any Latino people in Louisiana until after Katrina. But yeah, okay? We love y'all, okay? And, and as, to me, as a black woman, I see myself in a lot of, you know, Afro-Latinas and people who are, you know, obviously, <laughs> okay, somebody's great-grandmother is a black lady, obviously looking at them, their head texture, their skin color, their facial features, whatever, okay? So I don't see myself that different from y'all, but I do recognize that we are different and y'all as a people... Y'all are mixed up on understanding who y'all are, okay? And, and I think that's why y'all can't come together um, as much as y'all would like to. Um, because y'all are a mixture yourselves and y'all have a hard time dealing with that. But you can't expect black people to buck for y'all all the time because y'all are always trying to create separation between us. Y'all do it yourselves. You know, I'm not black, I'm Dominican. I'm not black, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not black, I'm whatever. Child, <laughs> remember that. You said you weren't black. So stop expecting us to always carry everybody else's torch. We're going to carry our own for a little while and see how that works out for us because we're tired, okay? And that's just how I feel about that. Let's move on to the next subject. Sadly enough, the officer who shot Michael Brown will not face charges. And the only re reason that I'm bringing this up is because there are so many people that feel like shit is being fixed. So many people that feel like, you know, um, it's getting better. Is it really? Is it really? Let's read what they say. This decision is just one of three separate times prosecutors have investigated and declined to charge 
Wilson. A St. Louis County grand jury declined to indict Wilson in November 2014, as well as U.S. Department of Justice in March 2015. Brown's parents and St. Louis activists say when Bell, the county's first black prosecutor, took office last January, they had hoped he would be able to get them the justice they've been waiting for. But Bell called the announcement one of the most difficult things I've had to do, adding my heart breaks for Brown's parents. I know this is not the result they were looking for and that their pain will continue forever, the prosecutor said in press conference. It's amazing how we keep, you know, electing you black men because we think y'all are going to actually make the situation better and y'all is just as Uncle Tom as anybody else. Bell revealed in his statement, that his office conducted a five-month-long unannounced investigation during which they reviewed witness statements, forensic reports, and other evidence. The question for this office was a simple one. Could we prove beyond a reasonable doubt that when Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown, he committed murder or manslaughter under Missouri law? After an independent and in-depth review of the evidence, we cannot prove that. How could you not prove manslaughter? He's dead. Our investigation does not exonerate Darren Wilson. Of course it doesn't. Brown's killing on August 9th, okay, happened when Wilson told Brown and his friend to get out of the street. A scuffle ensued between Wilson and Brown, which ultimately led to the shooting. Brown was not armed, but Wilson claimed Brown came at him menacingly, forcing him to fire in self-defense. Brown's body remained in the street for four hours before being transported. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Much like George Floyd, the shooting led to months of unrest in Ferguson and helped solidify the national Black Lives Matter movement that began following Trayvon Martin's death at the hands of George Zimmerman in February 2012. After three investigations, Wilson's attorney, Jim Towie, said it's clear that the former officer didn't commit any offense. We all had the same conclusions. There was no crime. He said, I'm just hoping that everybody gets to have closure, particularly the Brown family. Man, fuck you. That closure of the Browns may be hard to come by. There is still a gaping wound, says Brittany Packnett Cunningham, educator and Black Lives Matter activist. I'm not disappointed. I'm fed up and never more committed, truth be told. She also adds that nothing will change until the system itself does. Her thoughts echoed by leading St. Louis activist Reverend Daryl Gray, who says the system is who truly failed Brown and his family, not Bell's investigation. I'm trying to understand how two people end up in a physical altercation. You pull your gun and shoot them and kill them, even though they weren't armed. I need to understand how that is not manslaughter. Even if you didn't intend to kill them, if it was a scuffle, if this man were not a police officer, he would be in jail. Like, or better yet, if he were a black man who this had happened. Like, if it, it just imagine if it were two black men who got into a fight and one shot the other, he would have been in jail from that moment up until the trial and then after the trial and then for the rest of the 20 years of his life that he would be in jail. But the fact that this man is a white police officer, you can actually open up your mouth on national television and tell us that no crime was committed. And y'all wonder why we so mad. Continuing on, body cam footage shows Arkansas man pleading I can't breathe before dying after police placed knee on his neck. In the video, 39-year-old Lionel Morris is seen being pinned to the floor by police inside a store in Conway, Arkansas. 
The ordeal began when employees called police after reportedly witnessing Morris and another person remove a drone from its packaging, supposedly with an intent to steal it. When authorities arrived, Morris ran from them before being tackled and tased. Local ABC affiliate KATV reports that Morris' girlfriend, Brandy Arnold, was another suspect. Oh my God, oh my God, please help me, please. Morris pleaded in the clip as he bled from his face. I can't breathe, I can't breathe. One of the officers harshly responded by telling the victim, if you can talk, you can breathe. Chill out during the incident. Morris was punched twice by one officer who claims they assaulted the man to get him to cooperate. I'll break your fucking wrist, another officer said while handcuffing Morris. The sickening footage shows that at least four officers violently restrained him even after he was placed in handcuffs, though eight officers in total were involved. Morris struggled for over six minutes. Once subdued by police, Morris is seen vomiting as officers turned him on his side. Another officer is heard saying, all this over a drone. When medical personnel arrived at the scene shortly after, they discovered Morris pulseless and unresponsive. He was pronounced dead on the way to the local hospitals. Although a thorough review, the prosecutor determined there was no evidence of any criminal wrongdoing by the Conway Police Department or the Conway police officers involved in this unfortunate incident, said Chef Williams happily. The level of drugs Mr. Morris had in his system, ah, y'all, it's always drugs in our system whenever they kill us. It's always drugs. So you know my problem? with this whole idea that he didn't comply and that he fought them back and he had so much drugs in his system and that is why he died in police custody. Not because y'all were overzealous, not because y'all obstructed his airway, not because y'all did damage to his body in some way unnecessarily that caused him death, but because he had drugs in his system. Okay. So my problem with that is that I have to imagine that there are a lot of white people that do drugs all the time and that also run from the police officers. I've seen this happen several times. Drugged up white people running from cops. And do you know what happens? Those people get apprehended and arrested without fucking incident. Without incident. So why am I supposed to constantly think that seeing black people be killed by police officers and in some of these same instances, how am I supposed to look at that and not see the differentiation between the two? That I don't see uh, men who are on drugs who are white being killed by police when they're trying to be restrained, but I see black men being killed by police whenever they're restrained and have drugs in their system and things of this nature. It just seems like a party line that y'all tote whenever y'all do this to someone. And it is extremely upsetting. Like to see the way like they're standing on him with their foot on his back. Once you've handcuffed him, what are we doing? Once you have gotten someone handcuffed, why are you not escorting them into a car to bring them to jail? Why does it always have to be let's stand on the person for as long as we possibly can until they die and then we'll call an ambulance and act as if, oh, look what they did. They did this to themselves, but we, you know, had to stand and have our foot on their back for a good six, seven minutes. You know, like, I'm sorry, y'all. But y'all just not going to do this like over and over again. And the fact that they're constantly telling us, like showing us this type of video and then telling us that the cops did nothing wrong is some type of mental warfare. And lastly, y'all, Ellen DeGeneres may walk away from her show. I wonder why. Let's read. It's been a heavy few last months for the comedic talk show hosts over the past 
Over the past week, several allegations have come out against Ellen DeGeneres' daytime talk show. They claim the entire production works in a toxic environment and hostile climate. Some of the allegations claim that employees have been fired over taking sick days and attending funerals, while others say workers are overall mistreated and overworked. Child, sound like when I worked at the news station. Now, unnamed insiders at Telepictures are saying the longtime hosts may be calling it quits after 17 seasons in the midst of all the drama according to Daily Mail. She feels she can't go on, and the only way to recover her personal brand from this is to shut down the show, an insider told Daily Mail on Friday. The truth is, she knew what was going on. It's her show. The buck stops with her. She can blame every executive under the sun, but Ellen is ultimately the one to blame. On Thursday, the generous issued a statement regarding the allegations. As we've grown exponentially, I've not been able to stay on top of everything and relied on others to do their jobs as they knew I'd want them done. Clearly, some didn't, she said. That will now change, and I'm committed to ensuring this does not happen again, she wrote. Insiders also claim that Telepictures has voiced that they have had enough of her. The behavior of her show executives has been appalling, but Ellen is no better. In fact, she is the worst. It's outrageous that she is trying to pretend that this is all a shock to her. The fish rots from the head, and Ellen is the head, a source said. Another source said the generous says that she hates coming to work and struggles to be nice to people and has utter contempt for her audience. I guess that's why I don't watch that show. <laughs> I've never been an Ellen fan, like as far as that show. I think she does really good stand-up comedy, but you know, I never was one to sit down and be like, ooh, the Ellen show is about to come on. Yeah, no thank you, okay? The insider said we've dealt with her BS for so many years. She's not innocent at all. She's not nice and the show is not filled with happiness. That does not surprise me. I have worked in television. It's not that happy. It's not that happy. Like the, the front that you have to put on in order to put forth a good show, executives, um, advertisers, the people who are in charge are sometimes, you know, hardly the people who are technically sound in those jobs. So they make decisions that they shouldn't make. They make shit harder. You know, they're just constantly making your job harder in every way possible. And even though we didn't get fired for taking sick days, we would get some type of retaliation later on for taking sick days. We were, you know, like mentally made to feel guilty when we needed to stay home because we were sick. I went to work with pneumonia several times because they make you feel like if you're not, you know, there, they're probably gonna fucking fire you. Like, it's exhausting. So I, I know what that environment is like. I'm not surprised. And I do think they should shut it down. They say that, um, you know, that little chubby white boy that sings in a car is going to get her job or her slot. And that's fine. It, it, it could be over now. It should be over now. You know, and that's unfortunate. And I think that people need to start complaining louder about being mistreated at these jobs. Okay. Because y'all think people are, you know, just like tissue you can use and throw away. So you treat them like shit. But in essence, over time, it brings the stock of your company down because people who are good at their jobs and know they're good at their jobs won't continue to take bullshit from people, especially not in the television field. They really get you caught up on the fact that you're able to live your dream in this industry and, you know, you can easily be replaced. But fuck that. Replace me then. Replace me then.
Always remember that these jobs will easily replace you, so don't you ever be out here killing yourself for these fucking jobs. Do y'all hear me? Okay. That's the end of the podcast, y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed. Please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to my channel if you have not already. I love y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed this, and I will see y'all in the next one.